How's it going, buddy? It's going well. Going very well. Yeah. I oh. have PSL, right? The most important thing to talk about this evening. <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> I added vodka to it, actually, after we discussed it. Nice. So it'll be my way this evening. All right. I'm pouring. We've already had four shots redeemed, so I'm pouring the first one now. And uh, this is going to be an interesting night. We have zero agenda. And when I say ask me anything, I mean anything. Yeah. I may not answer it, but cheers, y'all. One shot down. All right. I do want to talk a little bit about Conan Exiles. Because I fired it up. I played for about an hour the other day just on my own just to get familiar with it again. And uh, I, I felt this. So survival stuff is really difficult for me as someone with anxiety. Um, so if it's not clear to me, like I hate timers at all and the, that game is filled with them. So, but the thing I noticed this time is I feel like they, they backed off on it a little bit. Like it felt like I was able to, to kind of get my bearings without running out of water right away. Um, yes. so I yes. feel like that, that got a little, little lighter, which was nice. Um, but man, it's, uh, I'm playing it on a with a controller which is actually pretty nice. I don't know if you play it with controller. Um, Very good with controller, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been nice. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm still just tinkering around with it, but I think I'm at a point now where I can join the server. So, what 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 is it? What is the game like with a like a a, a server like that? How, how does it kind of operate? Sure. So there's um, a low number of server rules. Very obvious. PVE and PVP are among them. There's one in the middle that I like to host with called PVE Conflict, which basically means you can't siege each other's structures, but you can still kind of fight each other in the world and loot each other accordingly. Um, and they, that's usually a happy middle ground because some people love sieging bases and some people hate being sieged. So, and that's just, you know, the PVP side. Um, one of the, like, unique selling points of Conan Exiles is the purge system. So whether you want to PVP or not, there are huge waves of PVE hordes coming at your bases eventually. Oh. And so that's just really cool because no other survival game has nailed it nearly as well as Conan, I think. Is it like tower defense almost? Or like Yeah, it's exactly tower defense, actually. All right. That's what it comes down to when you, you know, you're training archers and other thralls and creatures and you're zigzagging Ooh. your, you know, walls and stuff trying to so yeah, you can make it as tower defense as you want. All right. You now you've piqued my interest even more. It's a really cool system, like, and you could kind of ignore a lot of the other game and just enjoy that kind hmm. of sorta. Interesting. Yeah. How many people can be on a server? Um, uh, it, it can go really high. Like, I think standard official is maybe sixty, forty to eighty is usually what I see. But there are certainly servers with like four hundred plus. Oh, okay. So that's not an issue. Then. <laughs> yeah. Well, with mods, not an issue. Yeah. Right. Well. I don't know. Is there enough space on the map for, you know, 400 people? No. <laughs> what kind of experience not. are you going to have? <laughs> yeah, you'd definitely be forced to clan up and all that. Hmm. Are there, so on your server, or the one you play on, is it, uh, is it everybody's together? Is there rival factions? Like, how, how do you, how, how does yeah, that tend like, to fall? There's about six clans right now, I think. Um, mostly groups of, like, twos and threes. And, uh, yeah, for the most part, everybody's being chill, but I keep trying to stir stuff up with certain other clans. <laughs> so That's like, I kill people on site, um, that I know and all that from some of the other clans. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Of course you do. That does not surprise yeah. me. Yeah. 
Conan's combat system is super fun for that stuff. So, yeah. Interesting. Like, you know, with a bow and arrow, you shoot a player in the leg, you actually cripple them. Now they, they move slower. So just like basic stuff like that is fairly elegant. That's cool. Huh. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that, uh, that detailed. I remember when I first played it, like at launch, I felt like the character movement and stuff was re was not good at the time. Correct. It feels like yeah, it's much better. Character control has come a long way. Yeah. Um, you know, they had hired another studio at one point to help them redo some of the combat and AI, as I recall. And that, um, seemed to go well, as far as I can tell. So from there, the game just got better and better. Nice. But yeah, gosh, it's been out. I don't know, three, four years, four and a half years, three and a half years. I think it came out in 18, well, right? That's a while ago. Yeah. It's been a little while. All right, we got some questions stacking up in the chat. Someone asked, what's your favorite chicken-related recipe? Mm. Now, is that to make or to eat? Because I don't really make, unless I'm grilling chicken. That's true. I don't cook chicken usually. But to eat, what do you like to eat? Yeah. Huh. That's a great question. Or, you know, it provokes thought. Um, was not even prepared for that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm going to say like um, like a chicken red curry, but from a really nice Thai place. All right. That's probably my favorite way to have chicken if I got to choose. I'm pretty sure mine's chicken parmesan. Yeah, I, I was weighing some Italian thoughts too. You know. I, eat, I eat a lot of chicken, but uh, I don't make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we got in here? It's going to be a fun night. We're going to have questions all over the place. So fancy Rhino says, I'd love to know how to get into multiplayer programming multiplayer. That, that is not my forte at all. <laughs> it's definitely a needed skill. Like back in engineers, always, there always seems to be openings for that. Uh, yeah, I have, I have nothing intelligent to say besides that though. No, me either. Like it's a, yeah. uh, it's definitely a, a unique programming skill. <laughs> mm -hmm. Actually, I've only worked with a handful of guys. Or, well, that's not true. I've only talked with a handful of guys or become friends with that do that. And uh, it's always interesting. Like latency is the thing they always talk about, right? And like how you how you work around that and how you deal with it. Yeah, finding resources on it might be difficult. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, interesting. I could probably connect you with some people though that uh, that have that information. Yeah, yeah. This is cheers to the Balmer Peak. What is that? Uh, I probably shouldn't I look that up, should I? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I kind of assumed it was like some reference to the way I look, but then I was like, I don't know what it means. So end of process. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> what are you playing right now? Are you just playing Conan right now? Uh, you know, Conan dropped like five, six days ago, so that's been the hype over the holiday weekend. Um, I do have a guild that I'm leading for Wrath of the Lich King Classic, so prepping that. Um, those are my two main games, and then I still am thoroughly enjoying Hunt Showdown uh, during mm. their first like full battle pass event they're doing right now. Interesting. Yeah. That's one I still haven't tried out yet. I should, though. You talk about it a lot. It is my favorite shooter. Yeah. Uh, by far, yeah, yeah. There's other great shooters and all that, of course, but yeah, I really appreciate every, like, just tiny detail. They're so detail oriented. It's so incredible. 
to just always notice new stuff, whether it's auditory, like all your senses kind of notice new mm-hmm. stuff each time you play. And I'm 500 hours deep, so. 500? Uh, That's really actually good. not that much, right? Like, <laughs> like people putting in thousands of hours into WoW. Like it's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that's over like four years. So I mean, five hundred is, is is solid. Don't get me wrong. I I would I don't mean to. Uh, right, my nerd cred is in. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> that's funny. I I've uh, I've been doing about an hour at a time of the Guardians of the Galaxy game right now, the new one, and that game is real good. First of all, um, but it's also great for me in that it happens in like thirty minute chunks. So like you know, it's there's very good like. We finished a thing. We're moved, transitioning. It's a good time. We just say it's a good time for you to go. Like, great. I'm gonna do that. Hmm. Yeah. So that's been nice. And uh, I have I've only got a little bit of time into Felsil, so I got to jump back into that some. Yeah, Felsil still the best uh, spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics. Absolutely. Let's see how it is. And the um, if I'm not mistaken, the main programmer slash designer uh. And the artists both live in Orlando. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they both live there. And I found out after I moved away. And it was so sad because I would have been like, yeah, I would have found a way to meet them. Yeah, that's interesting. What's well, yeah, not? Yeah, really it's not like you're never going to be back down here again. So that's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, right, we got a question. What is an outstanding characteristic that you see in your best teammate at work? Ability to take feedback. That is. Like, I think is like immediately my number one answer. Yeah. Because every ounce of conflict I run into is so much more expensive than any other problem I run into. Mm. The, the human problem, um, yeah, in my experience, is almost always the most expensive one. So, yeah. Being on top of one's ego and feedback and all that. Yeah. That, yeah. truly, like I can help you in all sorts of ways. I'm getting better at your craft, maybe if I'm good at it too, or whatever the case may be. But um, I don't have the time nor energy to help you be less of a jerk. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> and I think my mine is kind of in line with that, but a little bit different. Mine's being a, good at collaboration. Like there's so many. Like being truly good at collaboration means understanding everyone else's needs and your own. And then, mm-hmm. like, let's come together to find the right solution. And uh, a lot of people not good at that. Not good. Right. So I always appreciate it. It's something I'd try really hard to be good at, so I always appreciate it when I see it as well. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, man. Happy to... I'm happy to talk about whatever, honestly. It's been a yeah. it's, it's been a, like a super intense day for me. So like I, like I was telling Will earlier, I'm I was very focused on something and hyper focus kicked in for me. And then by the end of the day, I'm done, and then my energy just goes. So yeah, this is a rejuvenating experience for me on Wednesdays. I love it. So I just got to build my energy back up. Well, you know, I left high res about six and a half months ago so that's nuts right has it been that long six and a half months yeah yeah it's been a while wow um they're fantastic by the way absolutely fantastic people in studio and um 
yeah, I decided that I, I was I was hitting my burnout, my first burnout experience, and so I decided to just take a break. And I did not work for anyone for three and a half months or so, planning on kind of taking six months, but I didn't. I started picking up some like part-time client work through friends. And so, yeah, I'm working on multiple games part-time right now. And that's interesting because I'm having to context switch between completely different genres with very little like design overlap. Yeah. So it's fun because problems are completely different and all that. But it's, uh, yeah, it has its fatigue as well of trying to be good at it without thinking about it eight plus hours a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's yeah, uh doing that for about three months now. I really enjoyed the the that kind of work when I did it. Um but it was one thing at a time, right? Like I, I can't imagine like having multiple projects that I'm trying to contribute to at a high level. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very strong pros and cons I think, but I'm glad I'm doing it right now. It's a fun experience. And I'm getting to work on some of my favorite genres, being in like this open world survival space, the MMO space. So, yes, it's fun because you know I probably have five thousand plus hours on both of those genres mm. through my life. So it's always nice when you get a job that kind of justifies a bunch of other stuff you did. Yeah, like when you gamed too much in a particular genre. Right. <laughs> so yeah, very convenient there. I always think back to my mom saying go outside, stop playing so many video games just in right. general. And like, yeah, what do you know? Like <laughs> end up coming in handy. Yep. <laughs> is there such a thing as game too much? I, I think there is absolutely, but that it's not a problem with gaming too much as much as it is just time management for me. Yeah. You can do anything too much. That's right. I do a lot of things. Not enough too. Yeah, negligence is more my issue for sure. <laughs> <laughs> See that, Will? You're getting job offers in the chat. <laughs> okay, I appreciate it. We will certainly chat. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a really fun time because, like, I can do what I want when I want for the most part. It's like, here, here are your monthly sprints. Here's what needs to be done. Deal with it. Yeah. And so, you know, like, I don't work most Fridays, for example, and that's been amazing. So I've regularly had three-day weekends while I've been doing this. And, uh, yeah, just stuff like that. Or if you just wake up one day and you're like, I don't feel like working today. Just, I'm not going to do it. And that's great. That's... So the, the, the flexibility is nuts. But on the, the flip side is I have no structure. Yeah. Unless there are <laughs> meetings in my day. I'm just, I'm working at all kinds of weird hours when I feel like it. Yeah, that's, uh, that that part would be tough for me for sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I need that structure. Yeah. But you know, I think the, I do too, to be honest, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's the same as game design in general, right? Like the struct having constraints is what makes us work well. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll definitely flounder if I, if I don't have some kind of structure around me, even if it's artificial, right? Like sometimes I need to create it for myself, but totally. So we got a good question in the chat from Hellforge says, what is your least favorite game genre and how would you make it more enjoyable? <clears throat> Our answer will not be the same. Before. Yeah. And I, huh. I'm curious. I, I love games. Goodness. I'm trying to think of a genre I, I wouldn't like. Uh, I want to take a third but, shot. Well, it's not, no, it doesn't say don't like just least favorite. Right. Okay. You're right here. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, what do you choose last? <laughs> Third shot, y'all. 
right, I'm going to say games that are just pretty heavy on like roguelike systems. Oh. Um, and, like, like there's some really good ones I've noted the past two three years, like like what Loot Hero, Hades, other stuff. But um, a lot of them when I play them, I just I don't enjoy the minimal permanent progression. And I get that's the point is to like I get it. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity to have additional permanent progression that the genre as a whole generally does not have. And therefore it loses my engagement really quick. So I would I would be exploring deeper progression systems. Um that don't necessarily affect gameplay. Like it doesn't necessarily give you any buffs or bonuses, but just something to engage me, something to chase. There's just gotta be more to it. Okay. Like I like numbers get big does not work on me. I don't care. I don't I don't get excited when I put on better gear and number just gets bigger and just loop that Diablo style for like a hundred hours. I, I can't do that. Okay. So for people like me, I would, yeah. Want to look into, yeah. The bigger stuff. Do bigger you, do you like board games like dominion? I mean, or is because like, that's well, what I kind of thought of. But I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. It's like, it, like, well, I, yeah. the games that have like, Everyone has a zero start, and you literally don't know what you're going to be making by the time you're done, right? As far as your deck building goes, right, right, yeah. I mean, deck, the deck building games are pretty solid in general. There's a couple of publishers that are developers that are really, really good at those. I got that, into Cryptozoic ones for a long time, like the Marvel and the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, there's some really good deck building ones. Yeah, they did a they built a really good formula that allowed it pretty much any IP to be thrown on top of it. Right, right. Which is great. It's nice. I have the I have yeah. the Lord of the Rings and the Star Trek one, so that's the, mm -hmm. the route that's that cool. I went. <laughs> yeah. uh, so as for the least favorite genre, mine is definitely real time strategy, and I How dare you. I I told you our answers wouldn't be the same. It's <laughs> it's all an anxiety thing for me. Like it's um yeah because I, I, I I'm really good at. at tracking multiple things, but not if the multiple things are constantly in motion. Okay. So, so it's like I, and, and the thing that, that makes it a little easier for me is like kind of the way Warcraft three did it with having like a character, right? You're I care right about here. the character yeah. and the rest of the stuff is the same type of thing, but at least I know what's the most important thing to always be thinking about. Yeah. That makes Probably it a little great. better for me, but like, it's, it's tough. Cause so I, I look for games like, like, um, total war where I can like pause everything. I can set it up. I can let it, I can auto do it or let it do it on its own. Yeah the actual moment-to-moment -moment battle isn't as important necessarily, which if you're good at it, you can come out with much better rewards and, you know, and, and less casualties and all that kind of thing, but it's not worth it enough to me for, to me to, you know, try and get good at it. Yeah. Well, but, and that's part of the elegance of the total war game design. I think is that there's this huge area of, well, here's the good enough bar and you can like half ass it, so to speak. Right. And then there's the, here's the min-max perfect bar. And this huge area between those two points right. for you to, you know, experiment, fail, learn, progress, all, all that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really cool. Like, most Total War campaigns I've ever started, I don't win them. But the game lets me get far enough to where I think I have a shot at winning. And then I usually still don't win. But, like, yeah, there's, again. <laughs> hey, the if it feels good. Yeah, yeah it does. Like, to the bitter end, right? It's like... Uh, you know, you can lose and still have a great time. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I also haven't like 
every game there's a learning curve for me with every game that's why like anytime i'm going to do something like give me an hour just to like get comfortable and then i can move into like the you know the the really building skill phase i don't give rts is that much effort i don't give it i don't get past that initial you know uh, barrier for me most of the time now just because it's i don't i it's not valuable enough to me right because there's yeah. other games that i know i'm going to enjoy right off the bat that i haven't played yet so it's a it's a tough sell for me now. Well, darn, well, darn. No, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. I like the the accessibility and just the general like UI of RTS games has always been challenging. Yeah. Right. Like like studios do their best, but there's some really complex problems to solve there. So, um, yeah. It but at sense. the same time, I feel like if I ever were to like really put time into one to get good at it, I feel like a lot of those skills would translate. But yes. but I just haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe someday i will i don't know i still like turn-based tactical strategy is always going to be my favorite mm -hmm. i'm I guess, with you it's definitely like top three for me yeah uh, treat the one thing that'll get this dog up <laughs> okay other than hearing his mom come home which should happen relatively soon hmm. all right what else we got here I do, you know, Dawn of War is one that I, that I do, uh, the, the game that has the, the biggest chance and is one that I think about often right now, for those that don't know, uh, the three kingdoms era is like my favorite game history, like genre, period. So three kingdom, three kingdoms, total war is like the game for me, if I'm going to play an RTS. And so like every now, like about once, once or twice a month, I'm like, I really should fire that up because that's the one that's going to get me into it, but I just, I just haven't done it yet. Word. I did like dynasty warriors. Me too. It, it, right. Like dynasty warriors instantly felt good. Yeah. I didn't like play most of them, I guess, but I got into a couple and then, oh my gosh, they did a Gundam collaboration and the Gundam <laughs> dynasty Warrior game was like, ah, uh, I wish I had a way to play it these days. That's, good. that's a conversation that we should have. Um, I really want to find the right way to play more retro stuff. Right. And right. because I like, as soon as I got my first job in this industry, I stopped pirating games, right? Like, so over, cause like when you, when you're a kid, you don't have money. Like, you know, that that's, you know, part of what happens, but then I also sold off lots of my collection, right? Like all my Nintendo stuff is gone. Super Nintendo gone. Like all that stuff is gone. And I regret all of that. So now I'm at the point where I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm reliant on like steam ports, uh, things that I can get through the switch, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't know. I, part of me is like, do I buy the original hardware again or do, you know, like, like how, how do I, how do I do this? And then also how do I decide what order to play things in? It's like the pixel remaster for final fantasy four was like, that was, a, that was perfect. That was great. It was enough new and lots of quality of life improvements. Uh, and then the the six is is one of my next things to do. But also, I never played Chrono Trigger. So I've got that installed, just like the straight up on Steam, you know, because I need right. to play that. Yeah. But like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my first thought, I just got to say, Chrono Trigger is only like 12 hours. So just do yourself the service of making right. 12 hours. You're right. happy. I, I, everybody that knows that hears I haven't played it yet is like, what? 
Yeah, yeah. It's like not ever watching Star Wars until your 30s. <laughs> so, you know. Um, I don't even remember the question now. I'm sorry. I got so stuck on that. What was the question? I was talking about how to play retro stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, right. So there's a lot of websites that are questionably legal. I don't really know, so I don't really mess with them, where you can, you know, play them in the web even. That's that's interesting. And then you can, like, store your save files locally and then load them back through the web. So, like, there's solutions like that. And then there's a lot of, there are a few open source softwares that have happened, right? There's especially the ones to emulate, all the emulators, right? All the main emulators that people have used the past couple decades. And then, yeah, I actually mentioned in the chat, um, RetroArch is on Steam. And RetroArch is one of the main ways to play a lot of old games. I still don't know how cool or uncool it is to use that software, but it's been on Steam for like a decade. Oh, huh. okay. So there are ones like that. So that's a good call out. Um, yeah. So like, yeah. like a base thing. I I have a Switch. I have a Game Pass. I have PlayStation Plus. Like, yeah, and like I, each of those kind of sort of get a few of the retro games. They do. And like but, PlayStation just added Siphon Filter, which I haven't played, and that's the first one, one. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I have that one. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, that's one thing that that like there's there's there, I have these there's games that I want to play right and and are available to me. So I've got that list, but then there's that one. I'm I'm a collector by nature, right? And so part so that where I'm kind of like you know, maybe I should just buy all the shit again, like, and actually have the old consoles. And I think what it's going to take for me for that to happen is for me to come across like a really good condition, super Nintendo. If that happens, that's probably going to start me down a rabbit hole that I don't need to go down. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. But I would say, but I, I'm, I'm also someone who's like, with with ADHD, I tend to hyper focus on something and like really research. So I'm like, I need to know what the whole plan's gonna be before I do the thing. When you I take that first lot. step, I'm gonna be like, like suddenly I've spent thousands of dollars, you know. Yep. <laughs> and yep. I'm showing up at yard sales looking for games, and <laughs> that's what my whole weekend turns into. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, Tony, you mentioned the Super Nintendo. That's the only one I don't still have. I have kept up with every console. Have you? Years, I have, oh I have man. I don't have a good way to display them, but I have them all in my closet. And um, but the Super Nintendo is the one missing. That one got mm. like stolen or something with all my games. So that and that was my second favorite. Like the the PS2 is the most important console of my grow or just yeah my console life. SNES definitely number two. Yeah, such such fresh game design with the SNES. Like, yeah. like that new technology let people do so much more. Let devs do so much more. Yeah, and the the sixteen million colors right too. Like that yeah. was. That's that's why I love that over the Genesis, right? Was the I like those bright colors that was everywhere. I could see those. So <laughs> Yeah. And it really just became such a passive um influence from Nintendo products. Like to this day, they have those very powerful, bright colors and stuff. And yeah, that yeah. brand. I love it. Really, really nailed that. And and Java says the right thing. Like Super Mario World coming with that console, which is I think arguably one of the best games that was ever made platformers yeah. that was ever made. Yeah. Like that's, that's a huge same. They did it with both, both of those consoles came with a Mario game that the Nintendo and the super Nintendo that just completely not only like defined platforming as a genre, but like utilize the system super well, which is always, always fantastic. Yeah. 
not precisely that. And then they did Mario All Star, Super Mario All Stars. Yeah. <laughs> and they just brought them all to the SDS. So that was the coolest thing ever. That was like the first time in my life I had seen games moved generationally. Yeah, right. So, and then there was even, they I brought remember. like lost levels and stuff, right? Like things yeah, that we didn't even levels. get before. Yeah. That's exactly right. It was only released in Japan. Good memory. No. <laughs> I do not, but it's it's interesting. I There's so much in there that I can't access unless someone says something that makes me think of it. Right. <laughs> I had a at one point I had a PlayStation that was modded to play you could play like uh copied discs on it. Oh wow. A long time ago. I don't even know where I think I got rid of that a long time ago. It was blowing a, technology. <laughs> oh man, it's a uh, playing games is a uh, I mean, that's what that's the thing that I cared about most my, as entertainment wise my entire life you know yeah. and I I don't I honestly don't know why I got rid of all the stuff that I had because I had everything like like the only console I didn't really have I didn't have a Dreamcast mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't have an N64 just because of the timing and I didn't mm-hmm. have a 3DO I think I had everything else 3DO like the major ones but <laughs> 3 <laughs> 3DO, that thing was so expensive. And the games were like $200 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Was Virtua Fight, Virtua On Fighter something? There was some fighting game on there. Maybe that's the wrong one. Maybe I'm thinking Dreamcast. I think, think that was on Dreamcast. Yeah, Dream- that was Dreamcast. Every time, like, Dreamcast was the gamer's console from what I hear. Like, that is... Uh, People loved it. Yeah. yeah. And it I, was I've, the first console to have a modem, I think. I believe you're right. And it also had that like adapter you could put in the controller and stuff. Like there was all kinds of stuff happening there with a display on it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> says, sorry, it's Jurassic Park on the SNES, <laughs> the game of the century. Do not argue. <laughs> I don't even I don't even remember that game. <laughs> I gotta either. look like, it I up now. Because that was a game for every film from the eighties, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember that game. Wow, that's uh, oh. and it's from nineteen ninety three. That yeah. that is insane. How how is that almost thirty years ago? Am I adding that yeah. right? But the- <laughs> yeah, that that's how the math works. You're right. Twenty five oh, years. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like that. I don't like it. <laughs> I just started high school. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think I was like six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was told there would be no math. That's right. an that's an old, old SNL reference for anybody that's out there. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of being old. <laughs> so do you so, oh, oh, one of the things I want to mention before when we were talking about the play, replaying stuff, um, the way that I kind of do it now is I wait for some kind of a, a remake, remaster, port. You know, I'm looking to do it on the the best version possible, right? Like that's sure. kind of where I'm at now. <laughs> yeah. I will no longer be doing math. <laughs> I was just asked to say. 
Uh, let's see. We got a question. Speaking of feedback, how do you define brutal honesty feedback? Do you feel like it has a legitimate place in a team? I don't like the term. I don't either. Onto that, like, like brutal to be brutally honest. However, someone like interprets that, like it. Well, that's delivery, the, right? Right. It's a delivery. Like the, the whole purpose is you're trying to influence the other human being in some way when you really break it down, right? Like, and so. Just you need to think about, yeah, delivery. The the way you deliver it's going to inherently be the first thing to influence the outcome of this interaction. Yeah. So uh, put your best foot forward on that one, right? Like, don't. There's nothing brutal. Don't be brutal about anything. No. Uh, empathy works pretty well, I hear. Yeah. On and on. Well, so I, I I think, and this is, I think this is a kind of problem with with uh, perception of feedback. Anyway, there's. There, okay, being honest, right, is what you should be all the time, right? You sure. should always be honest. What we're talking about is the, the the if you're saying brutal, that means your perception of how they're going to receive that information is an issue, right? You are going you are going to deliver the information in the way that you want to, regardless of how it's going to be perceived. That's what brutal sounds like to me, right? Yeah, that's I don't, pretty decent. Yeah. I don't think there's a place for that, right? Like I, I'm yeah. someone who, and I mean, we talked about this last week. I, I'm someone who approaches every conflict with what is that person trying to get out of this? What do they need? What do they want, right? And I think if you're thinking about being brutally honest, you're just looking at how you feel like is the best way to deliver that information you're not considering how they will best receive that information. Right. And so it's, it's a yeah. collaboration either way, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's a two way street. So I think it, ultimately if you as a leader or someone who's providing feedback have taken the appropriate time to learn about them and get to know how they perceive, how they receive information best, you can find a way to give them honest information in a way they will take. Like, right. You, or at least you yeah. can put your best foot forward there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I have nothing to add to that. Cool. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. And, you uh, know, that's a lot easier said than done. Oh, um, yes. The variables and all that socially, but um, yeah, that's the sentiment to always try for sure. Yeah, it's it's really been interesting as I look back on my career and the way that I handled situations and what I every time that I handled something incorrectly, I learned something. Right. So where now I have all this like information of over time of like, I tried this method and that worked with this kind of person or that thing never worked. Don't do that again. Like there's, because we're, first of all, you're human and you don't even know how to communicate until you learn how to communicate. Right. So it's, it's like just constantly be learning and trying. And as long as you're thinking about and keeping in mind that that is a person as well, and that they're, they also have needs and wishes and, and like, uh, not directives, but they have, they have things they need to accomplish, right? So do you, and they may not always line up, but theirs is just as important as yours. And if you keep that in mind, you know, you'll, you'll figure out a way to, to come to some kind of compromise, hopefully. All right. How do you put your ego aside when giving feedback or receiving feedback? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's simple. I want to be better today than I was yesterday. 
if anyone is giving me feedback, they're giving me an advantage competitively. So I appreciate that, and I'll remember that Dude. and all that. But yeah, it's nothing but an advantage to me. And if you see it as a disadvantage, then I, I like your whole perspective is you know the bigger issue. So, man, that that is that is the right perspective. Um, it's a hard one to maintain, right? It is. Like the human in me, the human error in me wants to be on the other end, but yeah you're going to be bad at it, right? Like it's going yeah. to be really hard not to re because reactions are emotional. So you're, you're going to, especially when you first start getting critical feedback, you're going to be defensive, right? Because it feels like you are being attacked because you put what you are into the thing that you did and you're getting feedback on. Right. And so, and, and the big place where I learned that this is, that it should be thought about the way you're thinking about it is when people would do a focus test or a play test of something I worked on, those people have no idea who did what, right? They, they are not attacking a person. They are not attacking anything other than their own experience. And, but man, that stuff is hard to hear. So, but with any feedback, and this is, then I bring it back to any kind of feedback. You've got to listen, you've got to take it, and then you have to evaluate the value, right? Because sometimes people are going to give you feedback that's not right, right? The, right. The, it's their opinion, Right. And, yeah, yeah. and maybe you're both potentially right, but in this scenario, it's your choice, you know? So there's, there's lots of things that go into that. So any information you receive, you've got to understand it is information for you to process and, and understand and decide if it's actionable or not. And then when it is though, like, man, you can really, like you said, get some great feedback about becoming better at whatever it is that you're doing. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a volition that really drilled that into me too, for what it's worth. So that culture, that culture just radiated like feedback and trust. It was yeah. nut. It's great. Like that, that was a big, big part of yeah. that for me too. It's, yeah. That was the first place where I felt like feedback was anything more than someone telling me what I had done wrong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That. But now I view it as, Hey, someone's trying to help me get better. And I, yeah. I'm always going to get better. Yep. is positive feedback for me uh historically in 90 percent of cases is watered down and nearly useless candy coated yep that's uh then and, and that's the stuff you evaluate and just be like i don't need that so i think what you're so it sounds like what you're saying in this case above the universe is you would prefer to have actionable feedback real feedback and to you brutally honest feedback is feedback that you can see as something maybe you didn't understand or is kind of hard to hear and that that totally makes sense too like we're going to hear things we don't need to hear. We want to hear them. We should want to hear them. <laughs> they say part of being a professional in this industry is communicating eff efficiently and effectively without being a dick. And that is a hundred percent true. Like, so difficult. yeah, especially your first few years. And, yeah. and especially if you're good at what you do and you might feel like people around you aren't as good at what you do. It's, it, it can be tough to, that's a lesson you're going to learn pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. My first two or three years that, that was me. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> no, we all, we all learn that. Right. And so in my case, um, the way that it happened with me was I had someone pull me aside and tell me that I was starting to get the reputation of being a hothead because I would have emotional responses to, to situations that I, that I was that I had a clear like 
we just need to do this or why aren't you doing it this way like that and it would frust i would get frustrated early and th- this is early in my career and but it was some of the best feedback i got because i'm like that is not at all the like who i want to be right sure and so i've got to figure out how to fix that and so i put all of my effort into figuring out how to fix that i have a corgi trying to have me play ball with her right now <laughs> that's not going to go well Now we're playing ball with a corgi. (laughs) Yeah, man. Feet. I think giving and accepting feedback is one of the most difficult things to, to do really well. Sure. As far as I know, you know, no society I grew up around, uh, did it well at all. So there was not even a good example. Yeah. And we're also in the age where I think, the generation above us was just terrible at it in general. It was always the back in my day, you know, like yeah, I don't uh, yeah. care about your day. Like I want this day to be better. Yeah. <laughs> we need to make sure we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. On the feedback thing, just being upfront about the style of feedback you prefer with whoever will be giving it. That's a good thing to do too. Great yeah. Call. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's a tough one too, though, especially when you're in a new position or a new manager, it's, uh, it's difficult to, to be open about that kind of thing and trusting, like you don't know this person yet, right? Like we've, I think yeah. we've all worked for people that we don't trust and never could never, could never trust. Right. And that, so that makes it tough. There, there's a bit of the, they've got to earn that respect too. Yeah, yeah, it, it goes both ways, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you can, uh, yeah, help forward just saying that one thing that helped him is seeing the results of the constructive feedback, right? And that's, I think that's with anything that uh, any kind of process you're learning or trying to adopt is, it's going to be slow at first, right? Like you take that feedback and start to implement it and start to do better with it. Then you'll start to see those small changes. And then over time you'll see that, that skill or, or whatever it is build. But that's uh, it takes time. And that, you know, that trust is a big part of that too. Yes, sir. And I got a fourth shot here that I'm going to take. Goodness. And, uh, it should be good time. 45 minutes. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's- Impressive. This is I'm not advisable. Like yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm a little behind here. <laughs> all right. We've done all the required shots. All right. You're given an elephant. You can't sell it. You can't give it away. What do you do with it? Um level it to 20 and crush my enemies with it. I 100% use it as a vehicle like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Just destroy their structures. Instead. <laughs> like, obviously that's not a re- reality thing, but you know, like elephants, a thing in Conan. So I just immediately picture using it that way. Man. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, it will become, well, first of all, I, I love animals in general, so it will become a pet, but yeah, that would be the way I get around town. 100%. Yeah, right. Like, especially if you want to move to one of those communities that's like no cars. Yeah. 
probably probably wise. Yep. Like there's you know communities that are only forces and stuff like that. So that's pretty neat conceptually, at least. Yeah. I don't know much about it. I I guess part of the question is, is this thing already trained? I mean that that'll that'll depend on part of that. Yeah. These Can I right. just eat it? <laughs> no. Oh <laughs> that you know that's something I, I don't think I've ever heard is a an elephant dish. Like you hear a lot about like, you know, gator and you know, all that kind of stuff, but I've never heard someone mention they tried elephant, I don't think. Yeah, me either. I've never even thought about it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's like a it's like a horse to me, I guess. Like I think in that yeah. in that realm. <laughs> no, no, you can't eat it. <laughs> Are we down to 500 elephants on the planet? No. Is that true? I have no idea. That sounds not good. I honestly I believe it. I have no idea, but yeah. I I believe it's low. We're not we're not doing too hot at that kind of stuff. We're getting better. So we have but, we have subsets of organ yeah, we have organizations that are getting better. Yes. Yes. As a people, I don't know. No. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that's that's how I think of all things that we do better. Is because yeah, right. somebody rallied enough people to to get behind the right side of things. <laughs> yeah, so apparently there are actually only under like 5,000 oh, 500,000 globally. All right, that's that's better. That makes me feel better. Hmm. But 400,000 of those are in Africa. Sounds like I need to go to Africa. I want to see some elephants now. <laughs> I get all right. So one difficulty I would have is like, where am I going to put this thing? I do not have the space to house an elephant. Yeah. Property would be an issue immediately. I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah, shelter, diet, like all the basics, right? It's uh and then just the sheer quantity of whatever those whatever of those are measurable. So yeah, it's a lot of problems to solve. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. Cuz it's like how do you fence it in? Is there modern technology to help fence it in? Uh and how do you handle it? Um it. what's the right word? Uh Safely without harm. I can't remember the right right. word for that is, right? Like, I know exactly what you mean, though, right? Yeah. All right. If you started a brewery as a side thing, what would your signature liquor be? Oh, man. See, like, trick question. I'd rather have a meadery. I mean, that that can be it. Why not? Because he already said brewery and liquor. Those are different things. So I think we're just talking alcohol here. Okay, which yeah, you're right, you're right. And yeah, you hundred yeah, percent sure would make me you a hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of ideas I've never gotten to appropriately try. I made some small batches a couple times in my life, but nothing of note yet. Yeah, I would uh I would want to make some kind of a of a Belgian. I would mm. like ultimately, if I were gonna do it, I would wanna like collaborate with monks and do like a true Trappist beer. Like I want to do the real, real, you know what I'm saying? Yep. That's what I try to do. 
that was super neat to observe from the distance and at one of the schools I went to. I bet. Monk's always bottling that wine. I mean, they did a lot of other significant things too, but it was like a, it was a it was a constant thing, you know. No, I mean, no, it wasn't. It was seasonal, but it was the same as like the first semester of the year. So, yeah, or something. You know, they do other stuff too, but oh yeah, they they taught me a great deal. Smart people. Oh man, I don't know about monk wine, but Trappist beers are usually ten to twelve percent. So mm. that's uh, I'll take it. Yeah, that is potent. Wait, there's volunteer opportunities to work with elephants and other endangered animals at sanctuaries. I did not know that. Cool. Hmm. Other significant things, kung fu. Yeah, they, <laughs> they do. They make beer and they do kung fu. What else they do with <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone wants to see a dark cider cider <laughs> that's deep there's a there's quite a few video game uh alcohols i guess we could probably like it should definitely be a video game themed establishment right like that'd be neat there should be there's but there isn't right like not to my knowledge you go to events like blizzcon and they have like the themed beers and sometimes themed cocktails at like yeah. private pictures and stuff from studios and all that. And that's cool. And oh, I, I adore that so much um, when it's a game I've played and stuff, but yeah, nothing mainstream ever to my knowledge. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if someone huh? would want to mainstream, put their video game IP with alcohol as a permanent thing. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Know. Yeah. That's a good point. But like they should, well, like, so the first, the, one of the first drinks I ever had was like a, uh, a Starcraft drink. So a Starcraft cocktail at a Blizzard mixer back in like 2013. And um, anyway, it blew my mind. And it was, it was named after Jim Rayner. And I don't even remember it anymore. It was Rayner something, Rayner's Revenge. That's what it was. And it was, uh, it was a whiskey cocktail of some sort. Anyway, it just like made that mixer go from like a, you know, a 10 to a 12 for me. Right. I was already so ecstatic. I was there and I was like, bam. And they have amazing themed cocktails. That's nice. So they, that would, it's always been one of the ones that always do that. That would do that for me too. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the canned beers from Starcraft and other stuff at some BlizzCons, Benito. I'm trying to remember. There was a, a couple of big beers at that last BlizzCon that I went to. I can't remember what they were now, but wait, and I got one of each. It was, yeah, downstairs. Yeah. I can't yeah, remember. There was, I can't remember what they were, yeah. though. I think those were all Starcraft too. They might have been. I don't remember now. Because yeah, they had just they had just called StarCraft Two and Heroes of the Storm classic games. That BlizzCon, they gave them their own area. Mm. Felt bad as a Heroes of the Storm player. Yeah, StarCraft Two and Heroes of the Storm. Got, there was yeah. a real small Heroes of the Storm area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They actually just announced on Hots real quick. They just announced today, yesterday, today. They tweeted out a video, a Heroes Hearth. Being the third-party esports organization that's been doing Heroes of the Storm esports for the past four years, yeah. Anyway, they're done. Oh they're man, done. I thought you were going to say they were going to revive it. <laughs> we all had such hope because so many like big names um, were behind that organization, and they all did a phenomenal job. Just yeah, that that genre barely lives at this point. So you've got like three 
big MOBAs in the West that I can think of. Yeah. Huh. All right. Aveus asked a question that, that I'm curious. This is a good one. You have to fight Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas. You get mm -hmm. to choose two Game of Thrones characters to be on your side. I, I would need three Game of Thrones characters. But uh, who are you picking? Two Game of Thrones characters. I'm assuming only humans mean characters. So, um, well, so the most important question here is at what time period? I would imagine the show has both hands and that kind of thing, right? Let's 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 narrow it to the time of the TV show. But 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 like which time of the TV show? Like what season, man? Well, anyone. I mean, that's all within like you know ten year period. Okay, so I can pick that. I can be like season two, this character. Season eight, that character. Yeah, okay. yeah, I think so. As long as it's in that realm, yeah. Okay, yeah. Then yeah, no, no, no doubt. Like like early Jamie Lannister. Um, ah, yeah, and, yeah. And late Braun. Like I would just keep those two together. Wait, who? Who? Braun. Oh yeah. Like, oh really, like, Braun? Interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. He. Oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite characters. In terms of combat, yeah. Huh. All right. Yeah, so, well, hold on though. Now it says you have to fight them, right? Yeah. So I'm useless in this fight, first yeah, of all. Right. right? <laughs> Relatively speaking, um, I mean, we're not going to win. First, you can't. You can't beat the the. You can't beat those three. It's an impossible task. That's the real answer. But I'm trying I, to think. Of, I I don't know. Legolas, you're not going to beat Legolas, like. You're not going to get to close the gap before you're dead. Period. Mm. So mm. it's just GG. No, no one else gets a turn. Just Legolas, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know, man. I think uh, it depends. All right, there, there hasn't been much. I, I'm a planner, right? If I know this battle's coming, I'm going to plan for it. Yeah, I'm taking Melisandre. Interesting. And we're going to do some weird magic on those fools. Okay. Going to do some shadow magic or something. Okay. That's right. But then I also need somebody to get out there and just whip some ass. Sure. And I'm debating between... No, I, I think I want Oberon. I think I want Oberon. Oh, what a good character. I didn't even think about him. Yeah. Especially with that, that poisoned blade or that poisoned oh, spear. Yeah, that poisoned spear is so good. Yeah. My first thought, though, was potentially the mountain. I mean, yeah, obviously, mountain, right? First thought. I just I wasn't going to say the mountain. But I think I think Oberon's much more versatile. Yeah, yeah. So o Oberon might be able to close the gap. The mountain can probably close the gap just out of sheer power. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. What are you yeah, going to do though? Were to occur, then it could be anyone's fight. Yeah. But Igali, how many arrows are going to be fired before that happens? 100%. Aragorn, too, in theory, and Gimli could throw axes. Like, there's a ton of range that that group comes with. That yeah. I'm not like, sure there's three characters in any lore, like, straight up fighting that, that are going to handle those three. But I'm, I'm definitely not helping. Like, <laughs> right. like <laughs> we are at a severe disadvantage because I'm on the field at this yeah. point. But. <laughs> no, that's fun to think through. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I so 
Concerned Clover says you pick Danny because of her dragons. I think Legolas takes down those dragons easy. Yeah. I, I think easy. He puts an yeah. arrow in each eye. Like, but that's yeah. that's my love for Lord of the Rings. Did the Nazgul ever even get near Legolas? Come to think of it. Uh, like I'm with you. I feel like he would totally pop him in the eye or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he got the chance because like the mammoths and stuff, he had no problem with. Right. So. Yeah, I don't Nazgul think he was ever near him. Yeah. Uh, near him. Yeah. Like kind of, sort of at the end. They were in the same territory, but yeah, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> That's a fun conversation. I, like we definitely would need three Game of Thrones characters to to really stand a chance, but yeah, and I just can't think of a really powerful ranged. Like really powerful ranged character. Well, that's why I picked Melisandre, right? Because that's like the yeah. only like prepare from a distance thing I could think of. Though, if you change the terrain and you have control over where the battle takes place, then you can bring like aquatic support in and stuff. That's true. And you can be like, I don't know. You're on Greyjoy with a huge battleship, lol. That's true. Um, good luck dodging all these cannonballs. <laughs> That would probably have some effect. Yeah, the Night King did kill a dragon with a spear. That is true. Yeah, yeah he that was a Spartacus that, throw. That was a that was a thought that I had. I just felt like since Arya was able to take care of that, I feel like that three would figure out a way to take care of that too. Yeah, yeah, and it's all paper, rock, scissors, right? Yeah, like it's all about play and counterplay in combat. We were just giving fear had nothing to do with his ability to combat Arya's move. So, yeah. That was always, that was a bit of an interesting thing. I, I can't wait to see how the books actually end. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's so much, like I've, some of that stuff that was just clearly made for TV moment that yeah. that's going to be way better when we read it later. Yeah. You know, like little finger still existing, you know, like, I really like that character. I know. It's a fun character. What a what a piece of shit. Um, it's fascinating to just observe that character's behavior. And then double fascinating to think that there's an author behind this character and all the psychology behind that. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Being, an, being an author is so just so impressive to me. You have to understand that the intricacies and depth of a, of that character in order to write that character. Right? Like that's so that that is you, you're right that that is a mammoth thing like like that's he, he's a genius like like that's yeah. that's a lot like i don't even know how to properly describe what that's what that means right because the layers of that character and the way that he thinks is is so complex yeah. that you know he has to also be capable of that and then also understanding on top of it that someone in that place would do that yeah yeah no, and he, uh, there was a line that Baelish had said in the show, and it's not really a spoiler, he was just saying, you know, I have this image in my head, and when I take an action, I just ask myself, you know, does it get me closer or further away from that image? Boom. I was like, man, that is the simplest way to possibly think, like, in a, in a, in a really accessible way, a really easy to understand way, and then, like you just said, but then you add all of his depth in there. It's just cool, because it's, like, so easy at first to kind of understand, and I was like, oh, my gosh. He's like... 14 moves ahead yeah so man yeah it's neat 
Oh yeah, Wheel of Time. That's another. That's on my list. I was just talking about starting that next week. Hopefully oh, the show. Yeah. Yeah, we um we started it and we got three or four episodes in and then got pulled away from it. We keep talking about it. we need to go back to it. Yeah, they were talking about how Brandon Sanderson came in and finished it because, you know, who knows, maybe Martin needs a someone to help him finish Game of Thrones as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what else? House of Dragons has just started, right? Uh, Rings of Power just started. I watched the first episode of Rings of Power. We're going to finish you know, catch up here in the next day or so. Uh, have not started... Uh, the Game of Thrones yet? Yes, it's happening I, though. I will, I will complete both. Oh yeah, I think there'll be fun journeys at minimum. I agree, and we have them at My the same part. time, which is super weird. Mm-hmm. Like eight weeks yeah, of both shows on purpose, right? Like House of Dragons was like we are getting a week or two ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but the vibe is so different for me as a viewer. Um, I won't have any trouble enjoying both at the same time. Oh yeah, definitely. Let's see. Oh yeah. So, you know, talking about the expanse. Um, I, I watched the first three seasons of that. I think, have you ever seen that? The expanse? Nope. It's been it's, on my list for like years. Oh it, my gosh. That's my next sci-fi show. I swear. I just haven't really sci-fi. good sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't caught up on all of it yet because when it moved, I didn't I didn't finish watching the rest of it. Um, but th- yeah, that's that's some really good stuff. It's it's deep too. There's there's some good layering to that. Yeah, yeah. The past couple of times I almost started it, I uh, I rewatched Battlestar instead. Mm. That's something that Gabby and I have been talking because she <laughs> she has only seen the last episode. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, it was one of those things where like somebody was watching it and she came in and was like, what's this? You know, and I'm sure at this point she doesn't remember a lot of it, but I, I, to this day say the first, so you had the Battlestar miniseries. Then the first episode 33 was one of the most intense episodes of television I've ever seen in my life. And if, if you guys have not seen the start of Battlestar Galactica, you really should, because that episode is wild. It's so Especially cool. Especially when it, first came out yep like really ahead of his time in some ways absolutely yeah it was what year was that oh gosh a long time ago i didn't watch it at first i was not into sci-fi or Same. space stuff at all when it came out 2004 so 18 yeah. years ago at this point that's when i graduated high school oh my gosh goodness um yeah, wow. That's wild. But yeah, that uh that episode alone is enough to hook you on that series. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's I I couldn't stop watching it. <clears throat> like like most shows I don't have that trouble, but yeah, I really powered through all four seasons <laughs> within like a week and a half. I need to do that again. I I bet it's been 15 years since I've watched the show. So it's going to be all new to me in a lot of ways. That's the really nice thing about having a you know the the bad memory that I do overall is after six months to a year I watch something I'll be like ninety percent of this I don't remember at all I remember the big beats and I re I always remember the emotional moments the things that like resonate with me but just like remembering details nah 
I've, I've learned to embrace the fact that eventually I'll get to watch it again and it'll be new again. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> cool. I've got, I've got a lot of friends of similar perspective. And like you said, they embrace it at this point. You have to, or else you'd be miserable. Yeah, yeah, to do it. <laughs> Cause it would boggle me. I'm like, why are you even watching this? If you don't remember anything? Yeah. Right. And, uh, we used to, you had to have debates over that. Same with games. Like, why do you play this? If you don't remember it in a year? I, I want to, because I want to play it again. Like, like if I sure. really enjoy it, I'll know if it's worth playing again. Right. And then if I play it again, that means there was something in there worthwhile. Oh, we got a question for you. What did you do on Madden mobile and any tips for someone looking to become, become a content designer? Goodness. And we only have 50 minutes left with that kind of question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That that is a sit up in your chair question. Okay, what don't I do on Madden Mobile? Oh goodness. Um, I mean, well, I, I supported more than anything. I supported lots of people um, as best I could. So <clears throat> I got hired as um like a mid level game designer, and the the guy who was like the unspoken lead designer left after maybe seven or eight months of me being there, and then that just that was never replaced. So all those responsibilities naturally fell to me. And um, had a great experience overall. But yeah, we, what did I do? Mo I'll say feature design is the simplest way to explain it. A lot of my effort was either supporting presentations, building a ton of documentation, um, being in all the meetings regarding priority and risk assessment and discussing with the other discipline leads what uh, should go in this sprint and that sprint for that patch. With Madden Mobile, we would release about six times a year. Um, Four of those would be during the NFL season, uh, maybe maybe even five, because there'd always be one right around Super Bowl, and then there would be one around draft in April, <laughs> generally. And so, you know, we'd have really, really intense content design months and um, really, really intense kind of feature design months, and those were opposite of one another, fortunately, so we could kind of help each other when the time came as best we could. But then that was weird, too, because since we were a live service game, and since we're a Madden, like so an EA Sports game, so to speak, like um, we always knew there was going to be the next game, or you could always assume there'd be the next game, and therefore there'd always be the next update. So the point is, as the feature designer at the front, I had to make sure that we were thinking about what the game looked like, you know, in the three months from now, the six months from now, the 12 months from now, and production, you know, really had the burden of having to plan even three years ahead in some case. So like I had to, um, you know, just be able to support from the creative side all I could. And, uh, you know, we had proprietary tools where we could build content. And so we had a whole content team, design team, that would build all the content that would go into the live service things where my side of the more feature system designer folks, though content definitely did system design too, to be clear. Um, we would always try to be like a patch ahead for the most part. And then we would crunch over the summer, like April to August, getting ready for the huge big release where all the new features needed all the new content. And those of us that designed the features ideally knew how to build the content best. So we tried to be there to do as much of that as we could. I built a lot of stuff, but not nearly compared to a lot of the other designers. Like a lot of my stuff was either prototype, proving the feature, or the first stuff to then pass on to another designer. So um, yeah, that's my blah on what I did. It took you, that took you two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so just. I haven't even thought about it. It's been, it feels like it's been so long. I, I was at EA like a year and a half ago. Was it? Man, time, yeah, time is weird. Ago. Time is um, weird. 
fantastic time in general. Like, you know, being a game designer in that kind of environment, I think is especially challenging relative to other disciplines because mm. there's, you, you've got to stick with fundamental things that EA wants you to do, things that the local sports studio wants you to do, things that your local team and leadership want you to do. Then there's also the NFL and the things that they, you know, may want to influence and yeah. approve and all the obvious stuff there, of course. So just a lot of um, managing data and communication was a big part of my job. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot less tangible. It's also, you know, I mean, probably a top five annual release every year, you know, like the Madden franchise in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that's really big a big honest, deal. Yeah. yeah. It's a big deal. So it was cool to be in on that too, you know? It was cool to see all that because like yeah. I've, I paid attention to the NFL, but I'm not like diehard NFL fan or anything. Um, and I came out of that studio after a little over three years, like just knowing all this stuff I never would have otherwise known in my life about foot, American football. Um, see, now we can have intelligent football conversations. Oh, so. we can. We can. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of really good books, in fact, on the subject. Yeah. What, like just what, thinking like offensive coordinators and think like just perspective on how to make plays, the psychology behind it, the science behind it. Hmm. There's a lot to it. American football is just super deep. So oh, it's fun to work it with. It definitely is. Like it's yeah. one of the things that keeps me interested. Because like even if you just care about one team, there's enough there to talk about as much as you want to talk about. And, like, and that's the thing, the content. So from that perspective too, as a content designer to the question, right? Your intimate understanding of the content Jameson just talked about, the actual drama, the narrative of the NFL at the time and what's going on in the history of that and what team, you know, all that. That um, really matters when you need to build content for that kind of game. Yeah. Like even more so, I think, than, than some fantasy IPs. Like, you know, you might, I don't know, someone might get something wrong and I'm just going to make up. Okay, I don't know, say World of Warcraft, whatever. Somebody got something wrong in text and the lore was wrong and it can't be considered canon, whatever. Not a huge deal. But, like, you say the wrong thing about a player in the NFL or whatever, and, you know, that's going to probably start a Twitter reaction, which is going to start a whole other thing. And it's just, it's, yeah, you need to know the content. Yeah. That's one where you really need to know the content, too, right? You really need to know the content when it's real people and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But our, the team was great at that. The team was super good at that. I think that's I think that's something that has to be true, right? Like over the decades of making that game, the the teams over time, while while it's a completely different team now, the lessons learned, right? Like the the things people care about football today are the same th things they cared about twenty years ago, you know. So yeah. over that time, yeah. you've learned, you know, the same kind of things. It, it tweaks a little bit, right? But it's like I'm the I feel the same as a football fan now as I did 20 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. and the kind of things you care about as a person who also wants to play a football game are the same, right? In general, I think, right? Because there's there's either the 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 head coach fantasy or the general manager fantasy or the or the star athlete fantasy, right? Like there's these things yeah, that you as a person are like I always wish I love football. I always wish I could do this. And then the game gives you the opportunity to do that. Right. And then you care a lot about how well it does that. And then lessons learned through each year of development helps hone that and, you know, get it into a place where it's the better experience. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely that. Madden was ruined for me when ultimate team started, because that is all I would do now. <laughs> like that's, I love yeah. it. I love it. 
No, it's true. I I don't think I ever played another season mode, um, or any variant of it, like like uh, face of the franchise, etc. Like I and all those fantasies interest me. Yeah, being a general manager interests me. Like each fantasy you listed, uh, those I mean, you could even say those are entire player types, so to speak. Right. And, right. And I share interest with each of those, but yeah, ultimate team, you can't that 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 gotcha. It gets me. I, yeah. I got I to gotta make that OVR go up. I got to rip that next pack. And but I've always been into opening card packs. So yep, same there too. Digitally, yeah. The the weird thing for me is what my goal always was was to make the best team of Browns players I could for the Browns, right? Because I'm a Browns fan. So I'm always yeah. like, all right, how do I get that that 98 version of Miles Garrett? Like, what do I got to do to you know? And, that, and that's yeah. kind of like how I would structure my play. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. I think there's a lot of players that uh, behave that way. I definitely would would choose the player I want to see if even if his stats were a little lower than than someone else at that position. Yeah, if it's a little lower, a little I, lower, I, couple yeah. points, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, I'm like, how do I get the better version of this guy? <laughs> yeah. But it does matter. To be clear, those couple points of OVR can, can make a tremendous difference. Oh, absolutely, and that that's part of a good design, right? Like it's, it's uh, it does make a difference and it is felt for sure. Well, it's <laughs> from a player perspective, it's felt whether or not it's real or not. I couldn't right. say, right. Right. And that's, that is the thing. Like, even as someone who's been making games for as long as I have, it's still hard sometimes to, to determine or distinguish is this a, a me thing or is this a game thing? Like, do I feel this way because of how I perceive what's happening or did they intend this? Right. And that's, that's a fun thing about kind of analyzing designs and breaking them down. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of merit to obfuscating the player's understanding of something. Yeah. Um, but, but don't let them feel stupid when you do that. Right. Like there's, oh. there's, there's a method to this that's Absolutely. correct. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think when it's done well, it's, it's also really elegant. Yeah. It, that's, that's really interesting. When it's done poorly, we notice and it gets yeah. called out yeah. when it's done well, you don't get credit for it. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> it's a thankless job balance. <laughs> Dude, it so is man. Like every balance designer I've ever got to work with or just know, um, yeah, it is thankless. There's always like some little sad sadness about them. I feel. Yeah. Um, but no, it's super important. It's super important, and I think it's such a rare skill. Are you a balanced designer? The like there's there's understanding the actual animation and all the UI, all the HUD perception you're having in the moment of like using a weapon. There's there's all the uh, conveyance around that. There's all the conveyance to you locally as well as the players in the environment around you. Like there's ah, there's so many things to think about. Yeah. Are you? I feel like you're someone who has a good grasp on balance. Like you, you. If I handed you and someone was like, "Hey, I need you to balance this," you could do that. I would like to think so. I'm not. That that is not my thing. Yeah. Like like I can I can figure it out. Right. But it's more of like a, Hey, can we talk about if this is balanced or not? Like, I'm not, that's not me. That's not the way I think about I, or approach game design, right? Like my, I'm much more about impact moments and, okay. and good flow and, you know, like those kind of things. Like I'm more about the experiential part of it. Whereas like 
the balance is necessary to make that, but my brain doesn't quite think that way. Like I can do it if I have to, but it, it takes effort on my part. I guess is kind of what I mean. Yeah, totally. Well, well, what you're kind of dancing around right there is, is identifying use cases for the, for the gameplay, like for the weapons and all. And like, once you know those use cases, which is hopefully you knew those when you were designing whatever the, the content is, uh, you can apply those same use cases really to balancing. Uh, you just need to bring a few more in because you have all of the actual like tangible use cases, but then you need to bring in use cases of perception, use cases of whatever else that may be involved. And uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's a process that I have for it. And um, I think I think it gets you like 85% there and then you use your gut for the rest. I want to perception. You need to actually feel it with your hands and your eyeballs and really, yeah, feel it. I want to, I'm going to, I want to talk to you directly about that because I'm, I'm curious about that. We don't have to do that here, but I want to, I'm going to hear about your process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that could be a, a whole talk or at least half a talk probably yeah. later. Um, but yeah, even at high res recently um, when I was there, they, they had a really good sense about that, a really good sense of what gameplay should feel like. Like numbers are relevant. I, I mean, I think they're good at balancing too, but numbers are relevant. Uh, the, the way everything felt in their third person cameras, I think, uh, yeah, really, really high class. Hmm. And that matters in the combat system. Like every little bit of conveyance is, is sending your brain information and affecting your perception, therefore affecting your experience and then your memory of the experience. So. Oh, and, and not only that, but like, I'm someone who gets overloaded with information quickly. So like the, the right information coming through and the right, and the proper amounts of stuff that's coming toward me at once is really important. Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And then it's our responsibility as designers to understand that ahead of time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, pace and educate and all, all the flowy things. Is that something you think about as an accessibility thing at all when you're thinking about like conveyance or like making sure somebody yeah. understands something? Oh yeah. That's all in the same, same vein for sure. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I probably think about that more than any other element of game development. When I'm having to design something, I'm constantly thinking again from those use cases, I'm like, okay, how, how is the user going to understand And everything I design my my very yeah my highest priority is does the player understand yeah you know i can get the feedback it's not fun and we can change it or bail on it but goodness i need to make sure they understand it either way yeah so if they don't understand it the, the the feedback becomes a lot less useful to me besides telling me i guess that you don't understand it but yeah <laughs> yeah that's good feedback <laughs> right but, you know, it's like oh it sucks but it also might not be appropriate feedback right like that person yeah. may no matter what you did that person might not have ever understood it so that's totally true so it's totally important to understand too yeah that's what goes back to that you have to evaluate every piece of feedback you get right and just make sure is this something i need to care about or is this a one in a thousand case of so you know that kind of thing yeah. We have a, oh, we got a question about, are there, huh, are there any good books or resources that go in depth about the hows and whys of game mechanics and game modes? Um, I think, I think basically what we're saying here is what are your favorite game books? Like game, okay, game dev books. For that translation. Yeah. Um, you're right. That's definitely the sentiment there. So Oh gosh, I don't have modern game design books. That's my problem when I get asked this question. I, I reference games from when I learned game or yep. books when I learned game design. Yep. Um, though 
I I don't actually even know if there have been a lot of new ones. Like like that 2010-ish era, like a million game design yep. books came out. And there was the Game Development Essential series with um Jeannie Novak. And oh my gosh, she responded to me on social media one day and it just made my day. And then offered to send me a copy of her newest book and it was like, ah, um, super nice. But yeah, so back then, so take this grain of salt, right? Um, Art of Game Design's classic. Uh, I don't necessarily say read every word of that, but I think the lenses that come with it, once you get a decent design sense and um, yeah, once you get, let's say once you're actually in industry and you've got a little experience under your belt, your perspective is going to change so much. Holy cow. And yeah. that's where those lenses served me the best is when I was trying to actively solve problems at the job and I needed to um, see the problem from different angles, different lenses, yeah. literally. Yep. So always a fan of Jesse, Jesse Shell's work for that. Same. Uh, the level up book I always bring up from um, Scott Rogers. Thank you. And then you always say me all the names, Scott Rogers. <laughs> I know Scott. That's uh, the only reason I bring it up. Yeah, we work I, together I, at THQ. That, that's still my favorite game design book, personally. Um, I think it, it formats the information in a really understandable yeah. way. Yeah. Like you, if if you have a problem or you or how to say this, every chapter is a specific game design thing, basically. And so you just flip to that chapter and within 10 minutes, I'm feeling pretty confident again if I, you know, wasn't prior. And his appendices in the back, I still think are worth their own weight in gold. Mm. It's so many examples of documentation and just thought provoking list of data. Yeah. Like environments you could design a level in. And then there's like 90 environments in a bullet point list. And you're like, I've never even thought of two thirds of these. Holy cow. So um, the thought provoking of level up, super good. Yeah, I that, one, right? Like uh, basics of game design. I want to say Michael Moore was the author name that was from back in that era. Uh, was a really good system design book in particular. Um, there's that other system design book of recent note uh, that Dax authored. I did not get to finish it, but everything I did read, I liked a lot. Um, crap, I may have to look up the link for that one. I'm blanking on the name of it. So wait, which one? Sorry, which one Dax authored. Oh. Um... Um, i'm a terrible person yeah (laughs) it's it's super good yes you're correct (laughs) yeah i I think i think it's very um easy to read it's a lot less like dry and jargony and stuff than a lot of other game design books yeah through the years so that's a decent modern one um oh it it has here here's why we couldn't remember it has the simplest name introduction to game systems design bam I'm happy he got that title. That's yeah. A, that's like a... <laughs> I have yeah. I have two major ones to bring up. Sure. One is anything by Celia Hoden, like the gamer's brain. If you care about UX and like how the player perceives information, that that is a great. She's got four, I think, four books that are all game focused and wonderful. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. No, the the gamer's brain. I wish every teammate would read that book. Yeah, it's like, it's we, so good. Are you about to say a theory of fun? No, no. Okay. Actually, my that, 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 that's an honorable mention. For it sure. is an honorable like, mention. I, I agree. A theory of fun. Rap, yeah. Uh, so, rap, yeah. It's funny because that that book it, it's by Raf Coster. That that's the first game design book I ever heard of. Like it was like that's yeah. like a, if I remember right, um, that's the one, at least the one I think of was the first one I remember hearing. I was like, oh, there's a book for actual game design. Like it was a long time ago. But the design of everyday things by Don Norman is 
If you haven't read it, you should, because it's all about essentially why things in the world are designed particular ways and how we as humans Oh, I like, love that. like why, why we care about things being built these ways. And it, it is, it is a fascinating book. It's, it's really, really good. Absolutely need to read that. Yeah. Cause I, I think that way a lot already. I, I would love to gain perspective on that. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. But yeah, I love that perspective. And then that made me just think of one. Um, no, actually, let me pivot that to a different tip for a second. Um, when I was trying to get into the industry and do game design and stuff, one of the things I did that I noticed most of the people around me weren't doing and or they wanted to even kind of tease me for it was when I made Gamasutra.com my homepage on my Google Chrome browser. <laughs> and now it's GameDeveloper.com, but the same principle, right? Like every time I'd open a browser, I'd be like, bam, it was in my face. And... What made that valuable? I did not read every word there. Absolutely not. But I would uh, skim the headlines, right? So I knew the current events. I knew what was going on because the, the great Rob Coble taught me as a student to um, be involved. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Be involved. Yeah. And uh, he could have been more correct. And so every little thing I would do to be involved from that to going to IGDA stuff, et cetera, I, like all these other ways to interact with people and all enhanced me as a game designer. Um and influenced me for sure. So game designers need to do all of that. But then I didn't actually, we didn't actually really answer the question of um, how to get a job as a content designer. I, I mean, you know, we've, we've touched on, these are all important steps, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> these are all part of it. Yeah. Like if it, like, if you literally could be like, Hey, do this one thing and you can be a con, you could hire it as a content designer. That would be advice. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the 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 level of advice that would be is is quite impressive well you might have heard of modding right well there's that uh, but i mean it still takes more than that too but you know having a portfolio is the point the ultimate point i wanted to make on trying to get that job have a portfolio where you have built content that is somewhat comparable to the content you want to build at that studio that mm -hmm. is the best shot you're going to give yourself i think like if you want to work on skyrim we rewind however many years ago 11 years ago now 10 years ago 11 years ago goodness 11 years this november anyway um <laughs> you know the creation kit came out like three months after it was like that february of 2012 and you know the the kind of low-hanging fruit perspective here is well i want to be a content creator that works on dungeons or quest or weapons and armors and stuff in a game like skyrim well by golly you should probably mod skyrim and go do all that yeah and have a portfolio around that kind of stuff and you're going to increase your chances i dare say more than having a piece of paper from a school dude um, it all helps <laughs> to be clear and it all should synthesize together if you're really killing it um but but i think the portfolio is still like number one most important thing i it, it's funny because yeah. you just touched on the foundation of jesse shell's book art of game design which is do you want to be a game designer? The first thing yeah. you start by saying is I am a game designer, right? And I am a game right. designer. Right. Yeah. Right. And I then you just that. do it, right? Like you got to just, just do, do it. it. Like just it's all it. there to do. You're going to be yeah. real bad at it at first and yeah, you just keep doing it. <laughs> like, right. like literally practice makes perfect. And yeah. we are in an age in the last decade, which we did not have before where all of the tools are at your disposal. Literally, in some form, everything we use as professional game designers, every single person 
that just wants to tinker with it has access to something similar, right? Yeah. Unreal yeah. and Unity both give you everything that that we do in some form. Like, yeah. just go do it. And there's so many right. tutorials built in and books, and it's just just do it. Yep. And there's over a thousand games on Steam alone that has Steam Workshop support. Yeah. Which means you can mod them. Yeah. Over a thousand flipping games. That's so crazy. It may even be and, way higher than that. It just said a thousand plus when I looked. And that that's the other thing. I'm I'm glad you you reiterated on that because the for some of us who have issues with motivation, pick a game that you enjoy. All right. Yeah. And play and find find a game that you enjoy that has modding tools, right? And then play that game and mod that game. Right. Like you it just play the game and be like, man, it'd be cool if they had this or I, I wish this thing was better. Then just go make it better and put it up for someone to download for free. Like that's and now you've got something that people can go and, and look at what you did. Like there's and it's there's so many opportunities. When I graduated from Full Sail in 2001, there was not a single commercially available editor or engine of any kind. What's that? There was RPG Maker 2000. Yeah, okay, right. I mean, but that's, that's. I yeah, mean, I like, I, I commercially. You're right. right, right? Not Nothing on the level of what everybody else is using. No, I'm it, trying to think of what you even had back then. There, there was not like, much. I used the Neverwinter Nights, the whatever that. Aurora engine with Neverwinter. And I think the first Dragon Age used Aurora, to your point, yeah. There was Unreal Tournaments around yeah. that time. So yeah, you yeah, could, really. like, make maps, you know, that kind of thing. But like there was there was editor there was there was editors right for you know or mod tools you know that kind of thing. But there wasn't like a full on engine to work. It's like I just want to make whatever I want to make. Yeah, that's true. And it's just the what what you have today with Unreal is mind blowing, and it's free. And it and not only is it free to use, it's free to like you can make an entire game on this thing, and then sell it and then make most of the money. Like it's just mind blowing to me. Yep. They succeed when you succeed. Love that. It's like our modern, uh, lawyer system in the U S right. You only pay them if uh, you're successful. So, Is that how it works? That's how, that's how getting a lawyer works these days. You only pay yeah. if you win. So that's awesome. I think <laughs> it sounds good. I don't know. I've, I've never had to go to court yet. If you want to sue someone. So, yeah, it's on the bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Hmm. Yeah, there's just so much for free. Yeah. <laughs> free yeah, to play lawyers great. sound like a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, there's so many games that have modding tools just that are that are like even supported like by the studio. Just like Skyrim's a great example. There's so much you can do in that game. Like and yeah. just simply, and there's tutorials for anything you want to try. Well, and Bethesda went out of their way to create creationkit.com with a ton of their own documentation and right. videos about how to do stuff like build a Draugr tomb. And then there was some other stuff for fallout. Like, is it, uh, yeah, Bethesda in particular, uh, set the bar on a studio supporting a mod community. And there Definitely. are other studios who have risen to that bar since then. Um, but yeah, they, I really appreciate what they did for that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like I, played some, I played more mods than vanilla games. So like the modding communities, yeah. Huge part of my gaming time. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about how like that is the easiest way to 
to build your portfolio. And, and not only that, especially if you can build something that's relevant to where you're being interviewed or where you want to work, they can yeah. like grab your stuff and, and like see what you're capable of. That's a big deal. Yep. Your modding presentation, I think is a big part of how, you know, you got hired at Volition for sure. Yeah, I was just thinking about that presentation when you were talking there. That was one of the best. That was one of the best. Like, so for context, everyone, part of the process at Volition when when I was there was the first thing we had a new applicant do when they made it to the on site was they did a presentation for the whole design team about you know your design skills, things you're capable of, what you've done, you know that kind of thing. And Will's was heavy on modding, but the specifics of it was the skills that it built and the reasoning behind it and the improvements that were made. And like, it just gave everybody a clear picture of like how you think about design, how you approach design, how you build things, you know, to improve uh, what, what's already there. And so that kind of set the tone for the rest of the interviews throughout the day. Cause everyone came in kind of having at least a, a, a glimpse into your thought process. And that was, that was really good. That was, that was one of the most, uh, yeah stressful days of my life stressful weekend <laughs> it's a of my full life. day like, that's for sure it was eight and a half hours man yeah it's a big day and, like, and there was a blizzard <laughs> in chicago that i just came out of on the last train out of the that's, city that's and right weekend and oh my gosh i forgot about that part it was an adventure <laughs> it was i'd never been on a train in my life either i was like i am i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> it's but a great way there. to get from chicago to champagne <laughs> when it runs that's the thing I don't miss about the Midwest is all that snow. Yeah. Ice and snow. But yeah. yeah. The, the ice, um, the ice made my life difficult. My car did not like the ice. <laughs> no, it did not. I spun out like three or four times living there. Never, never got a wreck. Never came by like it was fine. I wasn't <laughs> it's like the black ice and stuff was real. You'd be trying to come home in the evening and it's like, uh, anyway. next thing you know, you turn sideways. Like it's <laughs> literally like, it's like, 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 yeah. An involuntary drift. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's what it feels it's like. Awesome, but not, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that test was that test was rough, and that presentation. I'm sorry, that test wasn't that rough. No, it wasn't. That test was pretty decent. The design test I had to take, and then that presentation, I was scraping everything I'd ever done together that like remotely applied to third party or a third person sandbox, like open world design stuff. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh. Yeah. So Skyrim came up big, like, like multiple Skyrim mods were part of uh, the conversations through that day. And, yeah. You know, I, but, I remember but... the guy who would become my lead, Ryan McCabe. He's been on here before. Fantastic human being. He spent like an hour talking to me about um, what I would do to rebalance. Oh, well, it was two things. It was, it, we talked about Eve online a great deal about system design and stuff. And then we talked about my mod where I rebalanced Skyrim's uh, races and kind of made it more fun. And then discussed, you know, how Bethesda leaned really hard into the th the theme of it all, which led to all these uh, gameplay imbalances. And so I just kind of leaned into the opposite. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, all that went really well. And I don't even think it mattered how good my mod really was. No. Just that I could speak that way. Yep, exactly. Um, like, I don't think anybody actually looked at my races, like, thoroughly or anything. No. And, and, and this is the thing, like whenever you're interviewing, the best thing you can ever do is get the, the interview in a place you're comfortable with. Right. And the thing you did by showing all of that was everybody's going to be like, Oh, we should talk about that. And then yeah. 
everybody's like, oh, like you get to control that. It's something you're comfortable with, right? Right. And that, that makes a big deal. It, yeah. It, yeah. It really, yeah. really goes a long way of making you like more comfortable, right? And being able to talk about things that you care about. Yeah, exactly that. All right, dude, let's take, let's take a quick two-minute break. And cool. uh, everybody, we will be right back. All right. We did it. All right. We got a question yeah, in so chat that I want to hit real what? quick. Um, what was your least comfortable onboarding experience? Not necessarily the worst, but maybe it was too rushed or whatever. Well, let's see. Hmm. None of them have been great. Like not in a really not in a diss. It's just like that's a hard thing to get right. Um, 
I, I'll, as a tangent, as I think about this answer, uh, Hi-Rez in particular was extremely interested in my feedback on the onboarding process as I was getting hired. And I really During appreciated it? that. I had like three different people ask me questions about it um, in my first few days. And even my direct manager, um, he, you know, he took it really seriously too. He wanted to, to get it right. So for whatever reasons, they really valued my feedback on that. I guess I'm just being from other studios and all um, a little bit. And yeah, anyway, it was just such a, a tone setter for me. I was like, wow, they are asking me for feedback in like my first few days and they don't even know if they can trust me yet. Or like, it's just, it was the immediate trust and um, well, no, that's the word, just trust. It impressed me. But all the onboarding things I've gone through, um, you know, there's IT issues that are going to come up in those first few days. Getting equipment is always one of the funniest things in my experience because it's never on time. It's always, so it's always days late, which is putting me behind on the work I can actually do for the studio at the time. Um, and little things like that seem yeah. pretty common, but I've never had like a real huge issue, not like an HR issue or anything. They've always been fantastic, done their best. Um, but I guess, oh, here's the thing. Actually, this is what I can say about every studio. Holy cow. Can somebody document their damn game engine? Can somebody have like actual documentation for onboarding a game designer to their proprietary tools? Please. Dude, I and will say. Really, you have proprietary like architecture, so to speak. There are extra tools you've made or other things you've done in particular ways for the sake of the game. And I don't know that. Like, I, so inevitably, my lack of knowing these things come up along the way. And I cause bugs from the lack of knowledge. It's the tribal knowledge, right? It's such a real thing. Yes. Oh, dude. And absolutely. If one thing could change about onboarding, that's exactly the where I would want to uh, help. Yeah. Like the documentation is real rough. Though I will say when I was leaving Hi-Rez, um, they were enabling game designers to have more time in a sprint to actually build documentation and stuff for the sake of training each other specifically. Nice. I thought that was an excellent iteration they had on some process around there. It's really cool that they like made time for that. They took that very seriously, like people and growth and all that. Yeah. That's awesome. I've been really lucky yeah. at Insomniac, the, it's been the best, it was the best onboarding experience that I ever had because there was a lot of like what you talked about. There was a whole week of like, Hey, this week, one, you have a buddy, right? Someone who's there to like answer and not only just answer questions, but schedule time with you because there was a series of like on this day, you're going to learn about this. And then there's, mm. there's videos and, and, and documents and stuff about it. And then you, at the end you need to, to do this. And there's, there's like a whole week of that and it was really good and not perfect. Right. Because a lot of that stuff, there's better ways to do it by now. There's, you know, documentation is dead, you know, it's, or it's um, invalid the day you write it, you know, like that, a bit of that, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's f seeing, even when it's done relatively well, you feel like you still have so much more that you have to figure out, you know? Yep. Always. Oh boy. We definitely have a new viewer. They asked if Insomniac was my first company. No, I've been in Insomniac for a little over a year. I started in the industry 21 years ago. So I've been, uh, been around for a little while. I'm an old man. Uh, it could have still been your first company though. You might be boomerang. That, Who knows? that that's true. That's tr uh, that is, that is true. That is true. Uh, but yeah, but no, it's, uh, it's, it's been, uh, an incredible experience for sure. But, but this is my, what fifth studio. There was amusement. Lucky Chicken, Oddworld, EA, Volition 6th. 
Sixth, technically. Cool. Sixth full-time game dev studio, yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I'm old. Yeah. You know, that. well, the first one lasted three months. The second one lasted six months. The third oh, one okay. lasted two years, right? So that's three yeah. years and three studios. So that, right. that makes a difference. And then it was four years, eight years, and then now here. Well, that's the thing, kind of to that point, you know, I went through my version of that, of like moving between companies every one or two years. And yeah, you, you get to a point where um, like the game industry, in some cases, you feel required to move between companies just to get a, get a promotion, right? Like just to grow your career in particular ways. Or you may just feel like there's a diminishing return to what you're still learning at your company or whatever the other motives are for you to leave. But um but yeah, you know, that happens really frequently in this industry. So it's cool that, or I should say, so now that I'm, now that I've had my version of that, my next step after I get through this like kind of client phase of taking these clients on, I, I could see myself really wanting to settle down for like an eight year stint, like you just said. Like it would be neat to not move again for a while in all the yeah. ways. Yeah. It's funny too, because like the trajectory of my career was like, little longer little longer little longer right and then it just kind of then it was like four years eight years and then now i'm like le legitimately guys i intend to retire from insomniac that that is my goal and intention right like it's a great place i love what i'm doing it's perfect for where that's i'm awesome. at in my career like that's I, i'm looking forward to it hmm. and just uh cobra i just refunded your the first one you did on accident and I'm going to take this fifth. I got a fifth shot here. We're going to enjoy for the last uh, 10 minutes of this episode, which only have 10 minutes left. So with that, tell us, Mr. Will Fitzgerald, what is on your mind? What do you want to make sure people hear tonight? Oh, um, well, this is my cat, Oliver. He's pretty cool. Um, I don't know. Let's see what's going on. You know, Take care of yourselves and each other and all that, all that stuff. Like, don't take it with a grain of salt. Really, really do that. Um, if you have any questions about things that you think I might be able to say something useful about, you're welcome to tweet me. You're welcome to ping me in Jameson's Discord. I will try my best to not miss that. Um, there's just a lot of discords, but you're, you know, I'm in there, so you're welcome to ping me with questions and stuff as we go now or later. Um, Let's see. You should mod. Final Fantasy VII Remake is the best. Wait, was that? Wait, can you mod Final Fantasy VII, or were those separate thoughts? No, no, separate comma. There's a comma. Okay, in there. I'm just giving you the list of things to sleep on. This you got evening, that Oxford you know? comma in there. <laughs> yeah, which is correct. I'm with you. I am with you. It was a list. Oh, I'm going to be so sad the day that's like super dead. It's no, dead no, we're right? not letting it die. We're not letting it die. Let it die. Uh, um. Yeah, you know, um, if you're if you're trying to be a game designer, you know, there was a couple of good game design questions throughout the evening, um, and you have more of those. Happy to chat, especially around modding. Modding something that I've taken a lot of um, pride and effort in paying attention to for like two decades. Two decades now. Two thousand two was Warcraft three, so that's nuts. And yeah, you know, I, I just can't stress enough how useful it is to have a portfolio of the things that you actually want to do. Cause you know, like you were saying earlier, just do it, do it. Like people get stuck up on the weirdest things, uh, myself included at, at times, 
but yeah, it's all about just go do the thing. It's it's that that accessible and that simple. Um, I don't know, man. I got a cool Conan server. What else? <laughs> I think we covered books and stuff. So I don't know. Are there any podcasts or anything that we should be sharing? This like, one, everyone should listen to this podcast. Oh, uh, excellent, excellent. Uh, uh, it's funny. I I haven't. I don't listen to many podcasts now that I'm home. Like podcasts and audiobooks are my big travel things. And now that I'm home, like I can't listen to something and work. That's just a, a me thing. So I, I miss out on a lot of that stuff right now. Yeah, that's fair. I just saw in the chat, I don't know if you ever did ask me that. Because like my first time on your stream was pretty early on. I don't know if you ever asked me the 1822 question. Oh, yeah. Well, so it's technically 1870. And I do want to okay. know this answer. If you were born in 1870, what kind of job or career do you think you would have had? I figured you'd have an answer waiting for that. Yeah, that's um, goodness. I mean, vehicular related. I would want. I would definitely be trying to be on the the forefront of that. Um, probably involved with train stuff. I'm probably yeah. involved with train stuff now that I'm thinking that through. All right, that's I can see that. Yeah, like like um, just the mechanics behind it all, and the kind of the urban planning of of how to integrate it into settlements and all that stuff. There's a lot of really cool problems to solve there that probably I would have been into, assuming I came from like a family or whatever where I could have even done that. I mean, you know, who knows? Yeah, but, that that's the thing that. Uh... I'm always, when I think about this, I'm like, what, what opportunities would actually be available to me? Right. Do I need to look back at my family tree and be like, what, what was my family like in the 1870s? But I think what we're really talking about is you and I are both doing something that we chose to do, right? Yeah. Like we do this because we love it. We're very lucky to be a part of it. You know, like it's been a lot of hard work, all those things, but it's, it's a choice we made, right? And I think if we took that same perspective at that time, be like, if we could choose, what would it be? I, I still like, I go back and forth a lot on this one because I think it would be, I often think it'd be something architectural, like in some way, um, e even though I'm not, an, I'm, I'm a 90% person. Like I, I'm not a, like a, a super details person. Like I, I would definitely mess some stuff up if, it, or if I were like an actual architect. But like maybe city planning or, you know, something that's, that's more of like, you know, that, that side of things. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good answer too. Like if we were just a little later, yeah, I, I would be one, I'd be right there with the flight stuff. Mm. Like piloting vehicles is one of my favorite con, like just things to do in life. So yeah, I'd definitely be involved with that more. Do you, you should get a future question too. Oh, like what, what about if 2070? What would you do? All right, what's your answer? Talk for 30 minutes about that. I'm, I'm going to put that on my list right now. Yeah, ask me that next time. I'm not even prepared, but yeah, <laughs> you think about that. All right, I do have I do have one other question. Yeah, who but. who do you think should come on the show? Mm. No repeats, like no one you've had yet. I right. guess who knew? Something new. Oh my god! I mean, we're at year what four now, so that's uh, a. Oh my friend! Okay. Oh. 
I guess technically so, doing I, the interviews, I'm we're 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 rounding out season two right now. So gotcha. Have you um have you had John Hartzell on here? I knew that's who you're gonna say. I knew it. It kind of has to be, right? He's yeah. like the one I can think of that I don't think <laughs> has. And his presence and perspective is definitely going to be like just different in all the right in all the good ways. You know, you could talk a lot more about economy design and he he did a lot of the stuff I didn't have to do on Madden Mobile, right? Like he had to do a lot of the content stuff. With, I mean, all the content designers had to do so much work. Um, but yeah, so he'll yeah. have a very he's, good set of takes on all that stuff. He, he's already on my list, and uh, more so now that I know he's a Browns fan. So, just saying, you're the only two Browns fans I know. <laughs> so um, we're the best two people you know. Got it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely that'd be my number one recommendation. And you know, Shane said um maybe last week or the week before he mentioned Jeffrey Younger, and I, I got a second that I, one too. I just friended him on Facebook, so we're gonna make that happen too. Yeah, he is a brilliant game designer. Very, huh. very systems thinking, very yeah. I, I learned a lot working with him. All right. I get it. <laughs> No, that's good. I, I I super appreciate that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Mark Diaz. So Mark Mark Diaz and I work together now. Uh I have not asked any insomniac people yet. I'm kind of I'm kind of holding off on doing that for a bit. Yeah. Uh, because you know, a lot of us are super deep in production on uh you know, Spider Man two that we're trying to ship. So I don't want to distract too many people, you know what I'm saying? Word. But after it ships, we expect all of them. That's right. That's what's that's what's up. That's all what's gonna happen. Software. All of them. That that yeah. that'll fill two years worth of conversations easily. So <laughs> that reminded me of one last question. I know we're running out of time. Um, have you been considering ever bringing on like two people? I think someone else asked you that recently. But it would be so fun to have you, me, and like a third dynamic of sorts. So I've absolutely been considering it. And, and here's, here's the thing. I just am not set up for it. Like my, the way that I have my OBS set up, not that I can't be, I just am not currently. And it's like an out of sight, out of mind thing for me. When I'm done here, I don't think about like the, the guts of my stream until the next Wednesday right now. So the answer is I have thought about it. We do need to do it. I there's a lot of panel discussions I want to have because I feel like we've got some really good opportunities to be like, hey, I've got three guests and me, and we're gonna talk about this today. And like I think that 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 would be fun. So I need to I need to figure out how to do that. And because like I can get rid of the I can get rid of the credits if I got multiple people. I can't get rid of barley. So I gotta figure out how to kind of set this thing up. Yeah. But or maybe you put you down there in the bottom right and have like your three guests in the top. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And that's that's the j- just some insight into me as a person. That's like it's a little overwhelming to think about because I don't know the answer. So yeah, sure, when sure. I when I start to think about it, I'm like, oh, I need to figure that out, and then I don't think about it again to figure it out until someone asks me about it. So because there there's like um. Uh, DJ uh, that uh, David Johnson that was on here a while back. He owns a VFX company. Him and his wife started it together. And my first goal with that is to have them on here together to talk about like forming a company, one with with a spouse, two in general, right? Like there's there's a lot of like stuff to dig into there. 
Uh, and but I'm just not yet set up for more than one person, so I need to make that happen. It's a super good idea. That'll be a good one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. See now, now this might be enough of a kick in the butt to make me actually uh, make it happen. So you regularly until you tell me to stop asking you. No, it's all good. I, I want to do it. I need to do it. I just yeah, because you had some happen. guests that I would just oh uh, yeah, uh, it would be so fun to talk to. And actually. Yeah. Another thing that'll help is if in the Discord people give me ideas for topics they would like a group panel discussion on. Because the yeah. more I start seeing, like, oh, we can do an episode on that and on that and on that, like, all right, let me get this thing set up. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic suggestion, and we're going to do it. Yeah. Cool. Yes, everyone that just asked, ping me on Discord about it, but do it tomorrow during the day. <laughs> yeah. <Good thought>. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. I think it's uh it's time for us to to take off. We've done it. I appreciate you coming on, especially last minute. Uh, for those that don't know, we had some schedule shuffling going on today, and Will was kind enough to come on a couple of weeks, a week or two early. I can't remember when we had it scheduled, but it's uh worked out very well. Next week we're gonna have uh Neve on, and then we're gonna have Ryan Parody come back on uh, the week after that. So we got a couple of good ones coming up. Yeah. All right, guys. You appreciate you, and uh, we will talk again soon. We and we'll figure out a, a cool topic to have you. That's what I'm going to do. The next time you come on is going to be with a group, and we'll figure out what that is, what our topic is. We'll make that happen. Awesome. All right, buddy. Appreciate you, and I will talk yeah, to you soon. That. Later. Later. Hey, thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications below so you'll know when new episodes are ready. If you're interested in the audio version of the podcast, I've got links for that in the show notes for you. And if you want to join us live and get your own questions answered, we're at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Have a good week and we'll see you soon. California, right? Isn't that where you're going? Uh, yep. L.A. Got a few roommates lined up. Nice. Uh, well, actually, one of them. Yeah. You moving so in with Kyle? Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yep, dude. It's, we gotta. I gotta come visit you guys. That's good. It's gonna be an absolute sitcom. I'm very excited. Um, is there another roommate? Like, is it? There is. Oh my um, God. And it's like it's like fascinating because we're all so different, the three of us. Uh. So yeah, it's 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 gonna be amazing. Yeah.